I'm Amy Green, and this is Life After Pulse from WMFE. It doesn't have to be a sad place. It doesn't have to be reflective. It doesn't have to be about remembrance. It doesn't have to be about hope. It doesn't have to be about love. It can be about any and or all of those things. It just gave us comfort knowing that we, are, we can do this. It's been done before. It can be done again. My daughter's life was taken there and so many others in somehow when I visit there it's just like the angels embrace me somehow it's just I feel their their love you know it's just a feeling I have. It's been a year since 49 people were killed and more than 50 wounded after a gunman opened fire at Pulse. In this episode we focus on new ambitious plans for a memorial and museum at the site of the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. Pulse is situated a mile south of downtown Orlando's high-rises on a primary artery coursing through the city. Cars whiz by as mourners examine the artwork, candles and flowers left with care on the hot pavement out front. A screen displaying the rainbow-colored murals of local artists hangs from a chain-link fence surrounding the gay nightclub, serving as a happy shroud for the carcass of a building, which is painted black as it always was. Life is about happiness and joy and sadness and sorrow. And, and I think to live a full life, one needs to, to be present to all of it and not turn our backs to things like this. If we ignore this, it, it could happen again. Jim Marshall is from Seattle. But if we allow ourselves to experience it, feel the grief, feel the sadness, move through that into the love, that's what it's really all about. It's, again, <laughs> love always wins. And uh, that's the value to me of coming here. I, I can move through a lot of the sadness and the anger and move into that place of love and gratitude and, um, and experience this very sacred, hallowed place. It's a blessing. How difficult is it to be that reflective in this setting? You've got traffic whizzing by, it's very hot, it's bright. It's, it's a bit distracting. I mean, there's a part of me that feels like the building should be left, um, not opened, but just left. There's, there's something powerful about having that building here. Um, and I know other memorials, they incorporate other things, they take the, but this wasn't arsoned or bombed. And um, like in Oklahoma City and the Twin Towers, those buildings were bombed and destroyed. This building is sort of a tomb for the people that were slaughtered inside. So there's a part of me that really would like it to be preserved just like it is and have some kind of memorial around it and leaving the parking lot. I mean, they've even written on the parking, uh, the concrete things that keep your car from going over in the space. Things, I mean, they've, they've used every inch of this space to memorialize those that were slaughtered here. This is the outpouring that inspired Pulse owner Barbara Poma's plans for a memorial and museum here, modeled after ones marking acts of terrorism in New York City and Oklahoma City. I met Poma outside of the club to discuss the details. How are you doing? It's so nice to see you. Good to see you too. Hang in there. 
Poma established Pulse after her brother died of AIDS, naming it in his memory. She turned down a $2 million offer last year from the city for the club, saying at the time the bid had left her sleepless and she just couldn't let go. I arrive as Poma is tidying up the place. She carries a brown bouquet of flowers to a trash bin. She's wearing a sleeveless dress and heels, and at least once during our talk stops for a photo with the mourner. Her manner is quiet and perhaps a little uncomfortable with the attention. The memorial changes every week. I come here at least twice a week, at a minimum, really, twice a week, and maintain the site, you know, um, discard flowers that have, have died. And to kind of straighten the place up, I usually try to put all the rocks back in the rock garden and, and flowers where they belong, just to kind of reset it for the week. And so people, when they come, will, will just have space to leave their own mementos. There have been so many things left here from such beautiful places of love that you can't even, um, you can't put words to it. You'd have to see them to know. And I took pictures of lots of them. I, I scroll through my phone all the time since I started taking pictures of things that were left here. How often do you talk with the mourners who come here? Um, you know, what do you talk about with them and why do they continue to come here? I talk with anyone who's here who wants to talk. Um, sometimes they don't know who I am, which is even nicer. Sometimes there are people who are just visiting Orlando, people who've never been here, um, who didn't even come to Pulse but wanted to come here to pay their respect. Um, then you find people who were customers of Pulse or family members of people who passed on or who were injured. So every conversation is completely different and um, it goes in different directions. Sometimes it's just a matter of hugging someone. Sometimes we, we share stories. Sometimes um, you just listen, really. Now, Barbara Poma, take us inside the plans for a memorial and museum here. The plans for the site are ambitious. You know, plans call for a, a memorial and museum that will be national in stature and iconic, modeled after ones in New York City and Oklahoma City. Neither was the site of a mass shooting, and those buildings were reduced to ruins. Here, the building is still standing. Why those sites, and how are those memorials relevant here? They're very relevant because they were attacks on innocent people who were at work, um, just going about their everyday life. Now, you visited those memorials in New York City and Oklahoma City. What were those trips like for you personally as the owner of Pulse? Were those trips difficult for you or healing for you? Both those trips were extremely uh, difficult, um, emotionally, for all of us, really, who went. It just gave us comfort knowing that we, are, we can do this. It's been done before. It can be done again. You know, I think Oklahoma forged the way, um, and it's, it, was an, it worked for them. It was seamless, and um, New York City followed it, and so that's why, um, you know, we have sought them out. Barbara Pullman, take us further inside the plans for a Pulse Memorial. The effort is funded by the One Pulse Foundation and overseen by the Foundation's Board of Trustees and Advisory Council and Task Force. How are the groups working together and arriving at some of these early decisions? We have just begun. So um, we have just introduced a task force to each other. They had their first meeting. The board has had their first meeting. So they haven't. the next step will be um, getting them to, to work together, but like it's so premature at this point, uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but we, we will get there. One thing I wonder about, you know, at the center of all of this is grief, which is a very difficult emotion. You know, the expectation is that this will be an arduous process. Has it been difficult already? What kind of challenges have you faced already? We expect it to be very emotional and very um, arduous, like you said because we are all still grieving. And I think that, you know, Oklahoma and 9-11, both teams you know, told us what to expect. And, you know, 
have we experienced it yet? Not so much. I guess we've only had our one meeting, but I know those times are coming. I remember when um, Carrie said to me, there's sometimes you have that meeting and there's so much crying that nothing gets done that day and that's okay because that's part of the process and that's okay. Who is Carrie? Carrie's the executive director in Oklahoma City. And the process will start with a website, onepulsefoundation.org, where community input will be gathered through a survey process supported by the American Institute of Architects. Responses will be weighted according to whether the person is a family member, survivor, first responder, or community member. And how are those tiers determined? Um, we're still working on finalizing that. That's why the survey is not up public yet on the website, because we are actually um, trying to meet with the families and survivors and the you know, the healthcare providers and first responders individually or in groups to do it together. Um, and those, we haven't exactly figured out, and I'm sure all the experts will know exactly how to weigh those out. And then what will happen after that? Then we spend time compiling all the data and seeing, um, we'll start preparing a brief. And the brief will, you know, discuss it, how, how big the site is, um, all the data that was given, whether what people want to do here, feel here, see here. Um, all that will come together. And so you create a mission and vision statement for that, for the memorial. You create a brief that prepares it for the competition or however it proceeds from there. And then the process moves on. So a brief will be prepared, compiling all of the data that comes in through the website. And you mentioned a competition. It sounds like a competition aimed at selecting the designer for the site? Correct. What will you be looking for in that data that's collected through the website? What kind of trends or? feelings, really. What do you want to feel when you come here? That's, you go to Oklahoma City, you go to New York City, they had very intentional feelings they wanted you to feel when they stepped on that property. And I'm, I bet you feel exactly what they wanted you to feel. Whether it be loss, whether it be remembrance, whatever their main focus was that came out of their surveys, that's how the design is done. And I wondered if you could talk about a timeline for completion. Obviously, it's extremely early in the process. I just wonder, you know, a memorial at Virginia Tech was established very soon after the mass shooting there, but in Columbine, a memorial took eight years to develop. Um, do you have any idea what what's in store here in Orlando? We have no idea how long it's going to take. You don't know if it's going to be one year, three years, five years. Um, and I think putting a time on it um, is unrealistic and it could create pressure unnecessary pressure for a lot of people, especially the families, because since our process is starting so, you know, within the one year mark, some people aren't ready yet, and they might, might take them more time to get ready to, to be a part of it or even to take the survey. You know, that was one question that I had. I was wondering if it's almost too soon to be talking at, about a memorial here. We, we thought about that, um, and we considered that, and I think that's why we want our survey process to take as long as it's going to take, because I, sometimes I think someone's answer today might be different than it is in three months and that's all right. There are plans for a museum. What would it involve? It's too, it's too soon to really even say what the museum will um, hold. Um, if, you, if you've been to 9-11's museum or Oklahoma's, you can tell they're very different. Um, Oklahoma is really a minute-by-minute -minute account of the day, um, whereas New York City was not. So I think it depends on, again, the data that we collect, what people want to see. And, and I think that's why the museum process happens at the very end and, and much later, is because people need to heal. And there are artifacts that we should not see. And there are things we should not be talking about today. So um, it's better that those items stay dark. And so, you know, it may, our museum may change over time. Uh, I know Oklahoma's did. For me, I think the museum needs to be a place of teaching and creating change. 
Let's talk about money. We mentioned that the effort is funded by the One Pulse Foundation. How much has the organization raised? We are just beginning to start to raise money. Um, we had one fundraiser, I think, last year in LA, um, which, in which we donated 90% of that money um, to our families. How much money did that fundraiser generate last year? I can't remember the exact amount, but I know we did donate over 100, about 180,000 to the uh, National Compassion Fund. That went to the Orlando Fund, which went to, our, went to our families. And I realize it's too soon to talk about a cost estimate, obviously, but you guys must have a ballpark. We, um, again, we're starting our strategic planning, and all of that is, will be coming out soon. Um, we were just kind of waiting until after the one-year mark. And you announced last year you decided against selling the building to the city. Is a project of this magnitude, I mean, this is a very ambitious project, is, is something of this magnitude realistic for a private foundation? Absolutely. It's how Oklahoma and New York were done. They were not done by their governments. Um, those properties were not owned by their governments when they started building those memorials. So um, it actually makes the process a lot easier and quicker by being um, owned by a private person, which eventually, you know, it just makes the process a lot more smooth. We've talked about how it's anticipated this will be a difficult process. Why do you want to take this on? That's a hard question to answer. Um, it's just what my heart tells me to do. It's where my heart is. My heart is here, and um, I believe in the project, and it's become my mission. The goal is for people who continue to come to Pulse to give them a space. You are the owner of Pulse. What would you like to see? What kind of memorial would you like to see here? Again, I don't, I don't feel like my opinion even really is relevant. It just isn't. I've handed it property over and the project over to our families and survivors and, and everyone here in Orlando and the world, and, and I just think that my voice is equivalent to theirs. So it will be um, what it will be. Barbara Poma, it's a year after the massacre took place here. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. You know, I am um, still taking it day by day, minute by minute, and I'm okay with that. I think um, some days are harder than others, but I do know that this process um, and this memorial and this complete project gets me out of bed every single day. It's, you know, it's given me a mission, it gives me um, inspiration and hope, so um, it's what's getting me through. And meanwhile, you are planning on reopening the Pulse nightclub at a different location. How is that going? My focus has been centered here um, on the memorial process for so long, but um, as soon as we find uh, the right property, it has to be the right space, the right location, um, we'll get to work on that too. These memorials for these, these horrible shootings and so forth are relatively new. Ken Foote is a geography professor at the University of Connecticut and author of the book Shadowed Ground, America's Landscapes of Violence and Tragedy. People seem to think that we've always done this sort of thing, but the sense of shame that's often attached to these events often in the past made it very difficult for people to mark these, these events. That is that, that sense that this is so, so shocking that how can we possibly mark it? It, shouldn't, it should be something that we, we put aside. And I think these days people do see the value in marking these as a way of honoring the dead, but also pointing out the fact that um, something needs to be done, perhaps to stop the violence or to prevent it in the future. Talk to us about the process uh, for other memorials. What issues were there? Well, I was reading through some of the, the news reports from Orlando, and I think it's good because 
the mayor and the community are very interested in drawing on the um, the interest of the whole community and and also from people outside. I think that kind of collaborative planning is very very important. In some cases of tragedy, um, the decisions are made by one group or just a couple of groups. Sometimes, for example, the families um, want to exert almost complete control over the memorialization process, ignoring the fact that many other people may be touched by the tragedy in, in other ways, that they may not be have lost a loved one, but they may also be touched by it. And in cases where the decision-making has been confined to just a few people or to, um, you know, one, the mayor or the, the city council, I think some of the results often cause controversy in their own right because people don't feel as though they've been consulted. So I think, I think what has developed through time is this sense that these commemorations should be collaborative efforts that involve um, a broad cross-section of the community, the families, the survivors, the, the, the people who are most directly involved should be there at the table, but many other people should be involved in the, in the decision-making to, to consider the different points of view on these events. Is it common for these memorials to be developed and overseen by private organizations? Most of the memorials that last are ones that involve some sort of uh, public ownership at some point. But with that said, I think it's very interesting because many sites start out at local initiatives. They're, they're, they're people like the owner of the Pulse nightclub or Walter Bailey, who owned the Lorraine Motel in, in Memphis, Tennessee, they're the ones who say, this is really important. We need to do something. We need to do it on site. And we need to start developing a plan. In Memphis, um, the motel where Martin Luther King was assassinated, it remained a motel. Walter Bailey, who owned the, the site after his wife died, he was the first one who tried to tried to do something. He said, this is, this is really important. We need to have something here that marks the death site for Martin Luther King Jr. And gradually through the years, he was able to convince the city and the county and the state. And it moved on up until it became a national civil rights education center and was, was redeveloped um, in a different way. And so that may be the case for the site in Orlando as well, that this, this effort to try and promote it in terms of a uh, individual owner may be the first step toward um, convincing other people that this is really an important place to commemorate. Orlando is just beginning its journey toward developing this site into a memorial and museum. What advice do you have? It is remarkable that this discussion has gone so quickly. Um, that is, there's already an effort um, within a year to think very seriously about having some sort of memorial and there seems to be widespread support. Um, I haven't read of major opposition. There seems to be a lot of interest in providing uh, funding or some sort of financial backing for this plan. So it seems to me that things are, are moving in, in the right direction. In, in the very first few months or the very first year that um, after these, these events, those, um, those temporary memorials, those spontaneous shrines, the, the collection of the the memorial items I think is very important because it kind of frames the debate. I think what's happening now there at the site is very important because it helps to define the issues. It helps to, it helps to frame the, um, the questions that people are concerned about, about terrorism, about the LGBT rights, about all of these sorts of issues. And they come up and they help then 
to define what the memorial will be in the long run. Poma surprised everyone when she decided against selling to the city. Her husband, Rosaria Poma, already had signed a contract. Among those most surprised was Mayor Buddy Dyer. Most of our negotiations had been with Rosario, so I'm not sure that she was fully involved in the idea of selling to us. So I was a little surprised because we were about to bring the contract to city council um, when they decided to keep the building. Can you take us inside that sequence of events? Did you or Rosario talk before that news came out, or did you and Barbara talk before that news came out that Barbara had decided um, against selling to the city? Yeah, they let us know that. Um, I don't remember the exact sequence, but they told us before the news came out. And what was your reaction to that conversation? Um, I was a little surprised because we had negotiated over the course of several months. The, the main thing, I think, is that at the time, we thought it was important to have the building under control so that it wasn't sold and used for an inappropriate purpose was our main concern because I know that they um, wanted to op reopen Pulse, not necessarily at that site, but maybe another location. So we had a little concern that if they did that, what if they sold the property and it became a, uh, I don't know, a convenience store or who knows what purpose. So that was our main concern. We didn't really have an idea of what would go there, if anything. Um, and we had done a lot of research on um, cities and other memorials, Oklahoma City being a very good example. There's actually a book that was written about that particular one. And the most important thing, I believe, and Barbara's following through on this, is the process to choose. It's not even as important what the memorial is or what happens there as giving everybody an opportunity to have input. So that's the families, that's the Latino community, that's our community as a whole. And they've assembled a very good team to do that, so I'm comfortable with how it's moving forward. What is your relationship with Barbara Poma now? Um, friends. So I mean, there's no adversarial relationship at all. We're supportive of what we're doing and just want to help them be successful. And what was your reaction to Barbara's plans now for a memorial and museum at Pulse? Well, I don't think they have plans formalized. All they have is a process, and I think that is the most important thing, as I said before, that you don't just say, here's what it's going to be. You need to gather as much information and input as you can and then craft what could be there. Would you like for the city to be more involved in that process, or would you like to be more involved? Uh, not really. I would rather it be more grassroots rather than, you know, as it turns out, we were going to step into the void and do it if necessary, but with it being privately led, I'm comfortable with that. Mayor Buddy Dyer, what would you like to see at Pulse? I'm not sure, and I don't think that I want to dictate it. I want the community as a whole, and especially the affected communities, to have a voice in that. It's probably better for her to do this as a private foundation because it would have been very difficult for the city to have really worked on a memorial if half the commissioners were opposed to it. City Commissioner Patty Sheehan is part of the LGBT community. I mean, you can't work on something when half of your board doesn't agree with, with doing it. And I think with doing a private foundation that they're going to be able to move forward with a educational um, facility, with something that really is the spirit of Pulse 
and talking about gunshot violence, talking about these impacts on community that, frankly, we might not have been able to do from a government standpoint because of the polarization that's happening right now in our country. Are you suggesting that the deal fell through because of anti-LGBT sentiment on the part of other commissioners? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, yes, I do. And, and like I say, though, sometimes something, I was very upset at the time, but I think now looking back on it, it was a better thing to happen. I don't want to have to drag people kicking and screaming that don't understand LGBTQ equality and why Pulse was a bad thing through this process. I'd rather work with like-minded people who understand that this was a horrible tragedy and that we need to talk about why gun violence is a bad thing and why we need to talk about why resolving our differences and the educational component and all those things that I feel is going to be part of this memorial moving forward. I think I'd rather I'd rather do that with positive people who, ha, who and like-minded people, frankly. But yeah, there were my colleagues killed the deal. What is your involvement now in the plans for a memorial and museum at Pulse? Uh, certainly, they're going to need city assistance. I mean, it's a very small site, unlike other sites. Uh, where, where, where um, you know, tragedies have happened. This is a really compact, I think it's less than half an acre. It's in a downtown, you know, area. They had traditionally shared parking lots with other adjoining businesses. So Pulse was at night. Other businesses shared the lots during the daytime. Now this has become an attraction. So there's already an issue with parking. So as a city, you know, as someone who represents a city, I'm going to have to be working with them through these challenges. But I think we'll, you know, we'll work through them. Commissioner Jim Gray disagrees with Sheehan. He was one of two commissioners who opposed the deal. Look, this was very simple for me. I was in favor of purchasing the property for um, whatever the group decided it was appropriate to do. My problem, Amy, was simple, was an economic issue. And my question to everybody at City Hall from the mayor on down was, why are we using taxpayer dollars to pay three times the value of a piece of property? And Amy, unfortunately, I never got an answer to that question. Would you agree that there is anti-gay sentiment on the part of some commissioners? I I have not seen it. Um, so I, I don't, that's why I was a little stunned with, with that. Commissioner Tony Ortiz also opposed the sales price. He emailed a comment calling in Orlando to remain united. Dyer declined comment. memorial sites after the Pulse massacre was at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in downtown Orlando. President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden were among those who laid flowers here. While the club remained a crime scene, a large area surrounding it closed off to all except authorities. A year later, the outpouring is gone from the Performing Arts Center's front lawn. That's where I met Pam Schwartz of the Orange County Regional History Center. She led the History Center's painstaking effort to collect and preserve memorial items here and at the club, and now is part of an advisory council overseeing the Pulse Memorial effort. I reached out to Barbara, uh, I can't remember the exact date, um, but knowing that the memorial um, activity uh, would eventually be going to Pulse uh, when that site opened up. Um, so reached out to Barbara and expressed our interest in working with her to be able to collect items at that site um, and just items in general related to um, 
to, to Pulse. And so that was when I had my, I guess, first contact with Barbara um, as an individual. And then we've been working together in a variety of cap capacities ever since. You traveled with Barbara to New York City and Oklahoma City and visited the memorials there. How did you get involved in that trip and what was that like? Um, I'd been working with Barbara already for six, six or seven months at that point um, through my work with the History Center. Um, but at that point is when our relationship started to branch out and I began to start working with the Advisory Council um, in terms of what would ultimately permanently happen uh, at that site. And so Barbara <coughs> asked uh, simply if I would like to be a part of the process. Um, and I said yes. And so um, that was sort of a, a natural next step was starting to do the research for we want to do this thing. We understand it's a thing that we should do. How do we move forward? And so we reached out to those who've unfortunately experienced these things before us and asked for their guidance and expertise, which they were wonderfully and incredibly willing to give. What were those trips like for you? Um, a mixture of feelings. They were sad, uh, inspiring, touching, uh, humbling uh, is maybe the best word uh, to meet people who've been through a situation that was so vastly different than ours, but to be with people whose situation was also so similar. Can you talk to us about what you saw in New York City and Oklahoma City, given your expertise with the Orange County Regional History Center? You know, what were some trends that you saw? What were your biggest impressions? Oklahoma City experienced a very different event than 9-11 did than we did. And so I, I think that is the thing that was most impactful to me was that there's so many differences um, in the type of tragedy, but there were similarities in how the people banded together after the fact to unite, be stronger, and to create these permanent memorials. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma City really kind of focuses on that moment in time. You've got the two towers labeled with the, the minutes, um, and it's sort of time suspended in between where everything changed. 9-11, um, sort of represents that sense of loss. You see these deep sort of cavernous um, fountains. And so, you know, we start to try to think about what eventually our memorial may come, and that's gonna be part of the design process is figuring out what are the words, what are the types of things that, that this space should represent. And so that was a thing we really thought about a lot, we really talked about a lot. Now, Pam Schwartz, you now are part of an advisory council that's overseeing the development of a memorial and museum at Pulse. This process is expected to be very long and difficult. Why is it important to you to be involved in this? I've never thought about it so plank, point blank, I guess. It just always seemed like something I should be a part of. Um, uh, I moved here in February 2016, and June 2016, of course, is when Pulse happened. And so I was new and didn't know many people here. And after Pulse happened and, and through my work with the memorials, um, met Barbara, met Myra, met all these really amazing individuals who've really taken on and taken to heart uh, the importance of this project. And so I guess my heart just went right with it, just the same. And given your experience in New York City and Oklahoma City, what do you think is most important for Central Florida when it comes to what happens to Pulse? I do think it is a collective site of mourning. And that mourning can take a lot of different forms, and that's something we've learned from our travels too, is that it doesn't have to be a sad place. It doesn't have to be reflective. It doesn't have to be about remembrance. It doesn't have to be about hope. It doesn't have to be about love. It can be about any and or all of those things. Um, and however it's created, hopefully any individual who wants to go and use it for whatever purpose can find that thing there. So if somebody is going there seeking comfort, hopefully they will find it. If somebody's going there even to be angry, 
hopefully that's a place they can go and find some calm from their own individual storm. Um, if it's someplace that people are looking for hope, hopefully they'll find that there too. Um, you know, some people may end up going to this not even for the Pulse nightclub shooting. They may go there as part of their own personal um, process of coming out as being LGBTQ or, or whatever it is. I think um, these sites also morph over time. I think whatever they are initially, that in 15 years they may become a lot of things to a lot of people. Myra Alvier always knew she would be involved. Her 25-year-old daughter, Amanda, was among those slain at Pulse. Amanda chillingly Snapchatted the attack, sending around the world the fast-tempo percussive sounds of the gunman's deadly fire. Hi, how are you? I'm Amy Green. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I met Myra on a warm afternoon at Lake Eola in downtown Orlando. A year ago, some 50,000 held vigil here at dusk as a rainbow spread across the sky. Myra showed up smiling with a pink streak in her hair. I'm just noticing this pink hair here. Can you tell me the story behind this pink hair? I went to a hair salon to have my hair done, and I was going to meet in that afternoon uh, Mercedes Marisol, Amanda's friend that passed away in, in Pulse. I was going to meet their family because we were going to uh, have a remembrance birthday uh, celebration for Mercedes and uh, uh, the lady asked me, you know, uh, what is the occasion? Why are you having your hair done today? So I says, well, I'm going to celebrate uh, my daughter's uh, friend's birthday. And, um, and she started asking me questions and I was like, okay. Um, you know, my daughter died at Pulse and her friend Mercedes as well. So she started bowling when I told her and she started blow drying my hair and when we finished she says you know what i'm just gonna do something for uh in remembrance of your daughter and mercedes this is for mercedes what was her favorite color and i said well they're purple both of them actually they're both their favorite color so she says well hold on here let me go so she goes and she's searching and she's searching and I guess she didn't find a purple one. So she brought these magenta hair pieces of color and she says, well, I want to do this for you. Is that okay? And I says, of course. And I said, well, this is a memory of a Mercedes Marisol and Amanda. So I'm going to put these two streaks of fuchsia magenta pink color in your hair. Then she told me about her rings. They're heart-shaped rings um, and I gave them to Amanda for her birthdays and um, and friendship day, Valentine's Day and her birthday and another occasion and Christmas bracelet I gave it to her and this is what she was wearing that night that she was taken from us. So I wore them every day. I asked Myra about Amanda. My daughter Amanda, she was amazing. She was a beautiful soul, not only in the outside she was gorgeous, not because of my baby, but inside she had amazing qualities and she was loved by, by many. She was a student at Valencia. She uh, wanted to become, she was studying for nursing and she wanted to become a midwife. Wow. Yeah. And what attracted her to that profession? When her brother died of cancer, she was only nine years old, so she always said that she was going to be doing something related, you know, to be in the medical field, that she wanted to do something. So she, you know, decided that, pursued that 
uh, nursing and being a midwife and seeing the life come, uh, you know, to this earth and seeing the babies come up. She seems, she sounds like a very caring person. Oh, totally. She was totally very caring person. So uh, take us back to June 12th. How did you learn of the attack? I was sleeping and my husband wake me up because he received a phone call from her best friend, Nancy. And we turned on the TV and that's how I learned about it. How, how was Amanda's funeral? What was it like? It was peaceful. It, it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Talk to us about what it's like to be a family member now of a Pulse victim. In what ways are family members and survivors in touch for support? Well, since it happened, I, I wanted to reach everybody. I wanted to find out about the other family uh, victims. It numbs you, uh, and then, you know, you realize that it's for real, that really, really happened. And I just wanted, you know, to go out there and hug them and, and be with them and try to support them in any way because that's how, what my heart felt. I wanted to find them. I wanted to be there. What are some things that you've learned during the past year? I mean, what's been most surprising to you as a family member of a Pulse victim? The support, the love, the Orlando United. Uh, Why is that so surprising? Well, um, you know, I know that this happened in a, in, in a nightclub that mainly people were gay. I love this community. They've been so supportive. They have shown their passion, their love. They've been there for us. I mean, it's just incredible. So that kind of sense, you know, destroyed my heart to learning about all these things that the LGBT community goes through. And that's why I decide, you know, to, to help in some way. Let's talk about the advisory council. I have to wonder, you know, at the center of all of this is grief, which is a very difficult emotion. Grief involves anger, it involves depression. You know, this process for developing a memorial and museum at Pulse, it stands to be a very difficult one. Why do you want to get involved? Because my daughter died there. Why would I not be involved? That's, you know, she is my priority. Everything that have to do with my daughter, I be there. That's my baby. You know, I do this for her, I do this for the mothers of all the other, other ones that cannot be involved, that perhaps they don't want to be involved. You know, I'm, I'm gonna be their voice. So, of course I wanted to be in that council. What were some of your biggest impressions from those trips to Oklahoma City and New York City? What were, what were some of the most interesting things that they told you about the way the processes worked in those places? The time that it takes to do it, the history that are told. You know, they have the recording of when the bomb went off in, in, in Oklahoma City Memorial. So it's, it's just, I mean, it, it gets to you. It gets to your heart. You feel everything. 
you know, and then you see the empty chairs, chairs for children that were killed there. So what did you see in Oklahoma City and New York City that was relevant for you for Orlando? Well, when you see all the pictures, when you see the pictures of everybody that was there involved in Oklahoma, when you see the chairs, the empty chairs, obviously, uh, when you go to 9-11 and you go to the exhibit where all those 2,000 and more pictures of everybody that perished that day, you know, that that's just incredible. Myra Alvear, you are the mother of Amanda Alvear, who was among the 49 gunned down at Pulse. What would you like to see happen at Pulse? I want to see a peaceful place. I want to see a place that everybody will go there and feel their love, their spirit. I would like to see a beautiful sight with trees, people, you know, that would remember my daughter, the 48 others, the survivors that were there, a place of hope. I ask myself that question, like, you know, often as well, what would I like to see? But mainly, you know, a place where I can go. And, and I've already go to polls, and I've already, you know, feel peace. It's like something very strange, but I feel so peaceful there. You know, I know that something awful happening there. My, my daughter's life was taken there and so many others. And somehow when I visit there, it's just like the angels embrace me. Somehow it's just I feel their, their love, you know, it's just a feeling I have. And I don't want that feeling to go away. So um, I just want to see a beautiful place. I mean, when I left the hospital that day and I was driving to my house without not knowing that my daughter was dead or not, two rainbows show up by my house. One was my other son that died when he was 11 years old of cancer and Amanda's. That's what I, I meant, it meant to me, the rainbows. And it's kind of like, like a great message, you know, when you see that rainbow, it's like, yes, you guys are doing something for us, you know, and they are watching us. So I love the rainbows. It's so beautiful. And my daughter was, you know, she always have rainbows in her room as well. You know, her, her mirror was rainbow colors. So it's something that we love and it has more meaning now than ever. Back at Pulse, rainbows everywhere, on the wooden stars hanging like Christmas ornaments from a tree, on the pots of plants, each one painted, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, rainbow flags, a thigh-high rainbow sculpture, beaded necklaces hanging from it, 
rainbow-colored teddy bears weathered by rain and sun. There are photos, many photos, of Amanda and the others who were slain. Balloons, candles, flowers, poetry. One poem reads, We felt your pain all the way over in Australia. I was in Orlando this week, and I wanted to come by and pay my respects. A year after 49 people were killed and more than 50 wounded, a memorial for now. For more Pulse coverage, visit our website at WMFE.org. Thank you to local artist Ishmael Perez for providing our podcast theme music, an interpretation of the song Love Make the World Go Round from Jennifer Lopez and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Music for this episode also was provided by local artist Chakra Khan. I'm Amy Green, and this is Life After Pulse from WMFE. Thanks for listening.